0: of e-commerce can be tricky and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level this is delivering e-commerce and this is chris parsons hey
1: everyone welcome to another episode of delivering e-commerce i'm your host chris parsons so excited to have a longtime friend and colleague in the industry on today's show ben rodier ben
2: welcome to the show thanks chris great to be here
1: so Ben, what I get everyone to do when they get on here is to uh, talk about their retail journey. Um, you're coming from the side of supporting retailers um, with whether it be advertising and, and now in your in your new venture with uh, in-store omni-channel experiences. So I'm excited because I love this stuff. I, I post it on LinkedIn. This is where I get the geek out. I love the marketing aspect and the personalization and the omni-channel and all of that, those facets. So let's get into your story.
2: Sure. Thank you again for having us. I mean, a lot of us at SalesFloor, we do come from retail. Um, And, you know, it's funny you say like, you know, you and I have, we have a past and I think it's important for everybody listening to know that this all started, the Chris and Ben story started like way back when, over 10 years ago at Walmart, where we were talking about online advertising and retail. Uh, But it definitely has pivoted into retail technology, which is what we do at SalesFloor. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. But my story starts at Winners. You know, I started at, at TJ, TJX, uh, as I like to say in the U.S., but uh, TJ Maxx are Winners for 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 those of us in Canada. Um, and I was a menswear sales associate. Um, I worked in the store. I was a cashier. Um, I cleaned up after everyone, and you know, put things away, made sure the merchandise was on display the way it should. And that's where I really cut my teeth, uh, you know, working in retail and. Um, what was really interesting to me in starting Salesforce a few years ago was that I, I, it brought back a lot of memories in terms of what it was like to work at retail and some of the demands and challenges that we had working in a store. And obviously, in the past little while, retail technology has played such an important role in helping stores and store associates do their jobs. So, um, yeah, my story, like many of us at Salesforce, rooted in retail. But we're excited to be, you know, part of the solution of, you know, helping digital become part of what the store is today in terms of uh, a day-to-day reality.
1: That's great. And before we jump into Salesfloor, really want the audience to get to know, get to know you. Is there what's your biggest failure today? Like where, where even maybe not maybe failure is a harsh word, but where where are some of your key learnings?
2: I wasn't a good student. I'll start there. Uh, I scored a twenty-four percent in calculus one in my first year of CJE. So that was that was in terms of like objectives and targets. That's probably as bad as it got for me. Um, I went to a school where you actually had to pay money after you failed more than one class. So I remember coming home with my report card and my parents telling me that I better go find a job to pay for for the, the, the retake on the course that I had to take. Um, but look, I think failure comes in lots of different forms and it doesn't have to be a 24 in percent a, in, a, in a class. Um, we fail every day at Salesfloor, And I think the key, obviously, you know, without saying the cliche is fail fast and, and, and come back even stronger. So I think we've iterated quite a bit at Salesfloor. I remember one of the things that we did very early days was we, we built our prototype, uh, at Salesfloor on, uh, the concept of interactions between stores and digital customers. And one of the big things that we started on was video chat. And back in 2014, we were talking to this little company that not too many people knew called Zoom, and we traveled out to California and we met with them. We built this, you know, rough prototype where a store could actually video chat with a customer. Lo and behold, nobody wanted to buy it. Uh, so I, I wouldn't call it a failure. It was just right. it it failed the market test, which was that retailers didn't want this in 2014. Uh, but look what happened. You know, fast forward seven years, and everybody wants this now, and it's one of the key features of, uh, of our platform.
1: That's great. Yeah. And I, I always like to talk about where I had some stumbles and, you know, I I've recently remember the time when I launched the gift registry at Walmart and we, uh, we thought we did everything right. And then ultimately that gift registry at store level, um, where we thought we were going to have great engagement, had a message to the U S troops on it and we couldn't get rid of the message to the U S troops. Uh, so I learned from it because I learned to ask better questions with the the dev team and understand our partnership with the U.S. and what their limitations were. So while it was uh, something that had to be removed from our stores, it uh, was a pretty costly mistake. It was something I definitely learned to uh, to go deeper in the discovery sessions of what the actual project should be. So that's why I like to draw out some of those uh, best learnings from my guests. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's t- just let's reminisce a little bit here. So. You know, back when we were working together at Walmart, you were uh, working for—I believe it was Mediative—was um, a company. Yeah. And um, at that at that time, we were looking for a way to monetize all the site traffic. And you were working with uh, one of the great guys in the industry, Drew Cashmore, a lot from my team. And he's now actually in the U.S. Uh, with Walmart still, I believe. And uh, talk talk about that journey because you guys were very innovative in a time where site monetization for most. Retailers in in that period was a banner on the website and and call it a day. But you guys brought some um, really innovative pieces to that whole customer journey and their their path to purchase on the site.
2: Yeah, it was it was um, it was a big learning experience for me as well personally. You know the uh, the journey that we had at AdSplash, which later became uh, Mediative under the Yellow Pages banner, and the concept there was very simple. It was there's huge traffic on e-commerce websites. And that, that audience was essentially untapped from a, uh, you know, we call it monetization. But what it really means is the ability to sell advertising against an audience. Um, so when we approached the market, uh, we knew that the traditional advertising program would it would fail kind of very similar to, you know, your, your comments about the product with the gift registry and the U.S. troops message. The devil was in the details selling ads on walmart.ca or bestbuy.com was not going to be the same as selling advertisement or ads on on like yahoo or google so we really had to customize the program so that the retailer would not only allow us to run the ads on the website but that there was in there was enough in it for the retail in terms of things like revenue share and commercial terms and things like that but what I, what i quickly realized is that there was there's a lot of opportunity in big enterprise. And that's really where I think I started to see my career going in that direction, which was, you know, I knew the advertising game. I knew, I knew how that whole thing worked, but what was really interesting to me was in the case of, of ad splash and, and mediative, which worked with Walmart, like you said, there was this huge opportunity, which was the audience and the ability to sell ads against it, that no one within Walmart or, who was calling on Walmart was ready to tackle that problem. And I think when you look at what we did at Mediative, which was unlock the opportunity for advertisers to speak with consumers who are at the point of purchase, it was an, unta- it was like untapped, right? Like, and we went in and we rolled up our sleeves and we figured it out kind of similar to with sales floor. No one had really figured out how to give store associates the right digital tools and and, and marketing tools to connect with their customers. And it's, I'm not saying these problems are easy to solve, but it requires, you know, the the ability to go in and roll up your sleeves and figure out these problems. And I do genuinely believe that if it wasn't if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it right. Like right. whatever that saying is. So it uh, been an incredible learning journey for me uh, in terms of you know my experience, both with Walmart and, and with Salesforce.
1: Yeah, I, I loved our time together during that period because I was really cutting my teeth in e-commerce and, you know, finding innovative ways. And what I learned from that moment and that was with you guys and with myself was to bet on myself. Yeah, make sure that we had the confidence that we knew it wouldn't be right, but we didn't. We didn't let that stop us from every week releasing something new and learning from it and revising and going back to suppliers. Whereas. I still see today so many people debating and debating, debating, and nothing sure. about the market. So that that whole process and journey of my career was, you know, we I think we grew up together at that point, yeah. which was great, and we 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 had full transparency and we worked on numbers. I don't know how many times we met to say, okay, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, to come up with a, a as close as we could to a win-win for for both companies. And I really think that's important for a retailer. To have that mentality, to create that with their agency, because our agencies have to have stake in the game; they have to have a win model for them. Otherwise, why are they going to focus on your business? And I think we accomplished that back then.
2: We did, and and I think we learned a lot from you guys. You know, whether you know, I'm talking about you and Drew and Galena, uh, uh, You know, the, the, I remember there were moments in in the beginning of that program where I, I we all knew, like this was like clear open field. No one had ever done this before. Um, I think it would be interesting to mention here that when that all started, Walmart was an online catalog. You couldn't even buy something on the website. And I tell that story a lot because I literally remember the month where we changed over from the walmart.ca online catalog to e-commerce. And all of a sudden, all the vendor commitments that we had made were like up in the air and we were on calls together like every morning at seven (laughs) o'clock in the morning Literally, just trying to figure out how do we transition to this new commerce model that Walmart had just launched. How do we continue driving it forward? And I really do believe that we were trailblazers in that yeah. sense. You know, if you look at what today I think they call it Walmart Connect, yeah. um, and what Drew is working on in San Francisco, and and the the juggernaut that is Walmart Media today, a lot of that started, uh, not only, you know, in Canada, but with a very small group of people who saw the opportunity early on.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun to be a part of. And uh, I learned a lot from you guys at that time in my career. So I appreciate that. So let's get into some questions. When you when you have your business now, your sales floor is, I know, uh, Oscar and I met probably nine months ago or so. And we're we're really excited about some of those opportunities. So I'd love to, to have you review I mean, without bringing up a PowerPoint presentation here, but have you review some of the staples? Like, if if someone's going to be listening to this podcast tonight, tomorrow when they drive in their car on Spotify, what are some of the features that they should be really reaching out to to sales floor and saying, "Hey, dive deeper into this topic."
2: Sure. Um, sales. So I'll I'll give you the quick elevator pitch, but let's make this more about like what what are what's the problem that we're trying to solve in the market. Yeah. And we're not the only ones that are obviously doing that. So um, Salesfloor is a, it's, it's, a, it's an omni-channel uh, virtual selling and clienteling tool that store associates use to engage customers that are physically in front of them and digitally in front of them. And what I mean by that is when you interact with an associate in the store, whether you're shopping for a handbag or a toy or something for a child, um, your store associate is your trusted expert and what sales floor does is it gives that store associate a mobile application that they can look at to see on a per customer basis what's been purchased how can i interact with them they can shoot emails out to customers text messages they can live chat with customers video chat set appointments it's basically a digital interaction layer for a brick and mortar store associate to engage a customer physically in front of them or digitally who is shopping online and we have a, a very wide ranging set of features that not only allow the associate to have a toolkit to do that, but also many tools for the customer to use. That when they're shopping online, to connect with their local store. So obviously, during the pandemic, um, a lot of our features have come front and center uh, to help customers and associates continue to shop together. And it's been uh, it's been a pretty crazy uh, 2020, and still 2021, as you can imagine, for everyone in retail. Uh, but it's it's an exciting time to be uh, to be doing what we're doing.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love the leveraging of the associate. So I, you know, in in e-commerce, a lot of people talk about leveraging, or in retail in general, uh, influencers. And we we spend a lot of time trying to find that right persona, that right fit from a from a brand perspective of this influencer that has a large audience that fits with your messaging and your brand. Um, but so many times, I say the influencer I want is the micro influencer. It's that. Right. Associate at the store level that engages with our consumers on a daily basis. And I, this is what I appreciate about Salesforce. I think we're we're finally at the stage now to give those associates the tools to be a micro-influencer in their community, in the store. And really, and I'm not talking about an influencer that has a thousand Instagram followers. I'm talking about Chris Parsons in the store, and I'm talking to every community person that comes into my store and really engaging with their shopping experience, not just hi, how are you, but being able to recognize when that customer comes back their previous shopping experience and be able to add value where where now that happens. HH is probably one of the best examples of a, a store of the community that really knows their customers when they come in the store. They know them by first name. They know what projects they've done in the past. They know what renovation they're going through right now. And this just gives them so much technology to be able to interact with the consumer and that's what really excites me about the work that you guys are doing right now do you have a specific retailer that you would suggest that you're you've partnered with that's doing this right and leveraging the micro influencer
2: i mean there's i can't really choose one particular retailer that's doing it absolutely better than everyone else but if i look at some of you know the 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 classic examples of retailers that are doing it well Um, I would look at Chico's FAS, which was a brand that as a consumer, I wasn't very well aware of before I, 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 uh, I started working with them at Salesforce Uh, as a Canadian. Also, we don't have a large uh, presence of Chico's, especially here in Montreal, but Chico's FAS is a, you know, basically American apparel retailer who you wouldn't know it, but has an extremely sophisticated approach to CRM and client telling and virtual selling. And what's really amazing about what Chicos has done is they've actually carved it out as a piece of their culture. When you read the posters in their head office, they talk about MAPS, M-A-P-S, Most Amazing Personalized Service. And that's core to their brand, it's core to their culture. And they make it part of their technology layers as well. And Salesforce is part of that ecosystem where they're able to deliver the most amazing personalized service digitally. And they use our application to do that by not only sending and receiving messages to customers, but what we're actually able to do with them is detect patterns in purchase history and identify customers who are primed to be sold to. So it might be because of a birthday, might be because of what they've purchased in the past, and they have a 5x propensity to buy you know, a certain item. But what we're able to do from a clienteling perspective is identify across You know, they have like 700 stores at Chico or sorry, they have 600 stores at Chico's, almost 400 stores at at White House Black Market. And they have Soma, which is a lingerie brand as well with another few hundred stores. So there's like almost 1500 stores here that are on a daily basis looking at an application that says, who should I connect with next? When you think about what's happened in the past year where people are not coming out of their house as much as they used to to visit stores this is a great opportunity to create an outbound engagement with a customer uh, in ways that I I I think this is more of where we need to be from an omni-channel perspective in terms of customer engagement. There's lots of other examples beyond Cheetos, but I do want to you know give credit to 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 them because I've I've I think not only have we done great things together, but we've also learned a lot from each other.
1: That's great. Um, I can. This brings back some memories. I used to work at Future Shop on the sales floor as I was paying for, for my college education, and I had a binder. Uh, it was a best practice that some other sales reps had. And when you made a sale to someone, you would keep a copy of the receipt. You would look at everything that they purchased. You would put it into the binder, and you would make notes of, you know, <clears throat> batteries are going to only last maybe sixty days, ninety days, and have a call for them to say, you know what your batteries are probably running out. You're going to be due for a trip soon back to us. And by the way, when you're coming in, make sure you come in when I'm here on this date. So that way we can now take you through the journey of some other products that will go together with your original purchase. This was all paper-based and it was yeah. all us really keeping track of our, our customers because we were, we were, well, we were motivated. We were on commission. So um, we were motivated by, by being able to get those spiffs and those commissions um, on a regular basis. But, we we kept personas in our in our binders, and this is really well, it's far better than than that. But it's it's the same principle. It's being able to create that rapport and that connection with an associate that you trust, and have that catered shopping experience if you choose to.
2: We see this across beauty. We see this across uh, baby, and obviously apparel, like I just mentioned. Uh, but it's it's what you said before is is you know you were motivated because you had a commission to make. And if you wanted to get out you know, and make that money and, 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 and do the extra, then you were motivated to do that. The challenge is that it takes an enormous amount of effort and paper filing to maintain that black book. And then even if you do it well, what's the system of knowing when to reach out to who? So we've digitized all of that and we've programmatically figured out how to basically send a push notification every morning at 10 a.m telling you who are the two customers to reach out to today. And imagine in 1,500 locations, three associates per location. Imagine if you had 4,500 people every day sending out two, maybe three messages takes about 30 seconds. The scale of that is massive. And that's, I think, the opportunity that clienteling unlocks. It's not just about sales floor. It's about the opportunity for store associates to not only engage with customers, but be able to be credited for the sales that might not happen in their store. It might actually be happening online through e-commerce. And that's that's a big solve for the puzzle.
1: That's great. Now, I, I reviewed the the options that you guys have um, and I love all the steps. The one question I had and I didn't see, and I don't know if you just leave that up to the retailer or not, but one of the greatest um, benefits to my career was at Future Shop when they taught me a sales track because mm-hmm. you, you may be able to call those customers in but if you don't know how to engage and approach and the sales track that future shop taught me was guests so greet understand educate secure and thank and if you follow these steps whether a customer bought from you today or mm-hmm. bought from you in the future you were the sales associate they were coming back to you because you treated them as a guest in your retail environment so as you've put all of this stuff you said it's programmatic you've got the technology set is the, is the organization, the retailer taking on the sales training, are they doing anything to support the associates other than just from the technology standpoint?
2: I think that when you look at uh, enterprise and ent- like large enterprises, right, yep. there is a level of, of, um, of involvement that every company is going to need to have. But one of the things that I think differentiates Salesforce quite a bit is our retail services department, which... Uh, you know, as part of what I do is, is we have a team of folks who, whether it be from uh, an account management perspective or from a support standpoint, uh, we actually help backfill the effort involved in change management uh, at enterprise retail. So, uh, if a company, like for example, uh, you know, you were using Future Shop as an example, or now Best Buy, uh, if Best Buy has never done this before, the change management can be daunting, and one of the big challenges that we often hear, especially in in, in the pre-selling process before a, a deal is done, is how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to execute this? So we actually have put together a playbook that assembles all of the required comms, engagement, adoption, compensation. We actually have plays that we've put together. Not every retailer adopts every suggestion we give them But we have a document. We have a 10-page document that each retailer gets to review with their account director. And they understand what is required for me to successfully launch in the stores. And then if training is needed, and obviously a retailer who's first using Salesforce for the very first time, we bring forward our training team. We have a head of training and support led by Justin Sanders. Justin, for the last five years, has been Honing and figuring out the right way, not only to deliver the sales floor training, but to do it in a way where store associates who are net new to our platform and to this kind of solution, um, it, it, he's literally created an art form out of delivering this training. So I think what's very different, and this is not just the sales floor thing, I think that software companies that differentiate themselves, they really put themselves in the seat of the end user. Right. And we've really put a ton of resources into making sure that that kind of content, that kind of training is delivered by us. If you buy a software off the shelf and you're there scrambling to put together training materials, that's tough. That's hard. That makes the lift a lot heavier. So I think that's something that more and more software companies should be doing as opposed to just selling something and, and you know, collecting the license fees.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. Now, You've got the technology in place. You've gone through change management. You've got the associates engaged. They're willing to take this on. What are you, what's being done to protect the privacy of those associates and make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's a digital exchange back and forth with a consumer that um, they're not at risk?
2: So th- this was something that started, you know, obviously the moment we put this out into the world. I, th- I remember that was like one of the first questions that we had. Uh, you know, we started out with like Toys R Us and uh, and uh, and a few other retailers uh, in Canada and the U.S. And one of the big things was, well, what if I don't what if I don't want to be out there? What if I don't want my family name or my picture out there on the Internet for my customers to see? You know, I I, I have my boundaries in my store and I don't really want to put myself out there in terms of the Web. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. In sales floor, you obviously, you have all the configurations and settings that you would come to expect from any modern solution. You can control the way your name is presented. If you want it to be your initials or only your first name and not your last name, you can do that. Um, if you don't want to show your face and instead you want to upload some kind of default image for yourself instead, you can do that as well. And of course, if you want to remain you know, nameless and just speak back and forth with the customer, you can do that as well. Everything that we operate with within Sales Floor, um, you know, not only protects the associate's identity as as desired, but we also have the ability for the associate themselves to raise their hand and say, "You know what? This conversation, I'm not comfortable with it, and I'm going to flag it as inappropriate, or I'm going to flag it to my manager." So those rescue buttons and escalation procedures—they're built into the solution, and that that goes back to you know, at least for me, I remember. Um, being at Winners, being at TJX, um, I remember the training. I remember what it's like to be told, like, if you're in an awkward situation in the store, here's what you do. And we mirrored a lot of those SOPs, those standard operating procedures in our solution. So when we say, like, we built sales floor from being a retailer first, like, it really is true. Like, a lot of what we do is, what would you do in the store if this happened to you? And it allows the associate to, raise their hand and say, I'm going to excuse myself from the conversation. That's
1: great. Um, I love the uh, feature, the one that I wanted to highlight. And I mean, there's so many, but the the offering of expert recommendations. Um, I, I love this because so many times, like, like I said, one of the things with our brand compared to others is the service that you get in store and the recommendations. So, you know, a lot of times a, a customer will come in and see something in the flyer and They think that's the right item, but it's having that sales associate to to take a minute to talk through that purchase, to talk through that item. And and maybe it's an upsell and maybe it's not, maybe it's here. Here's an opening price point item that actually services your needs just as well. And you don't need to go and spend X. Um, So the, the, the recommendations piece, tell me about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, we have um, basically created a way for when a customer walks into the store and gets greeted and served by an associate, we wanted to bring all of that into the digital space. We wanted to be able to make that experience possible through digital. So if I'm an, if I'm a customer and I visit, you know, I use Bye Bye Baby very often as an example. It's one of our partners. And if I visit a Bye Bye Baby website, if I'm a new parent, which, you know, I know a lot of us can relate to, a lot of the brands that you're exposed to on, you know, whether it's Babies R Us or Bye Bye Baby, those brands are, they're, they're, they're foreign, they, you know, especially for a new parent, Graco and Britax. These are brands that if you've never had a baby, you probably have never heard them before. So coming into like a Bye Bye Baby website and looking at strollers, which are a thousand bucks now, it's a big investment and it's an important decision, but what's the difference between a three wheel stroller and a four wheel stroller? You know, do I need to buy the accessories for this age and that age? There's there's a lot of questions and expertise that go into these specialty products who better than to answer these questions than the person who's trained to do that on the selling floor. And that's exactly where sales floor has built in the tools to actually do that. So that when you're live chatting with a store associate, they can send you the products directly from the website. So they can actually tell you like, if you're in Toronto or Montreal or if you're in New York city and it's winter and you know that there's going to be snow on the ground, don't buy a three-wheel stroller, or don't buy a four-wheel stroller. I don't even know. I think a three-wheel stroller would probably do much better in in, in the snow, right? So, yeah. buy a three-wheel stroller, and don't buy this one because the wheels tend to rust rust up. Or uh, buy this one because uh, when your when your kid you know gets to be six months old and needs to come out of the bucket, this one has the right adapter for you. As a new parent, I remember it was a bunch of years ago. I had no clue and neither did my wife. So having the expertise available to us, not only in the store, but online, that's a solve. That's a big solve. And if you look back at the pandemic, that's an even bigger solve.
1: Yeah, 100%. That's that's great. I think, you know, where I want to get with this is you've got the associates engaged. Um, from a corporate perspective, though, wh- what are the retailers doing to compensate the associates? Does this just become part of the job description is... We've now rolled out some new technology to support you in store or are a lot of them going into some kind of spiff or commission or bonus structure to help have the associates more engaged with the program?
2: I'm glad you asked that because I actually just read an article this morning um, and I think Macy's is an amazing company, but they had they had a a, a news item where in I think it was the northeast. their associates won a court case where their in-store technology, which allows the customers to self-checkout through the mobile app, um, it was preventing them from making uh, sales commissions or or some kind of bonus. and um, And the Macy's associates won the court case where they were they were compensated in some way for it. But when I read it, I remembered back to when we first started Sales Floor, and the best practice that we had established from the very beginning was always make sure that your associates are compensated for digital or omni-channel sales in the exact same way that they are for their in-store sales. So if, for example, you're doing clienteling or virtual selling and a customer buys online, there really shouldn't be a difference between how the store gets credited for the online sale or the associates gets credited for that sale. Because if there is a difference, what you risk is that the associate is going to inappropriately try to get the customer to go one way or the other. Right. If I make 2%, if I sell it online, but 4%, if I sell it in the store, guess what's going to happen if you're searching for a $1,000 stroller? I'm going to try and push you to the 4% channel. You don't want that. We don't want channel conflict. So the best practice here is definitely compensate in the exact same way across channels. But one of the things that I think a lot of retailers get hung up on is the fact that, well, if I'm compensating my associate for digital sales, then where does the PL fall? where does the cost get attributed to in terms of which channel and i think that's where we get hung up in the details i won't go too far down this rabbit hole but what i see the smart re- the smartest retailers doing they understand that the PL might not be perfect mm-hmm. but that their sales associate is a sales channel no different than their advertising is a sales channel as well it brings leads into the business mm-hmm. that's great so
1: you know, from you've got all of these sales now happening and, you know, a retailer like me, who you know me very well. I want to know the analytics behind it. I want to know, am I seeing more footsteps in store, mm-hmm. frequency of purchases going up? I want to yeah. look at lifetime value because I've implemented these tools. How are we measuring all of these things?
2: So we, we measure, we have more metrics than I think most people know what to do with, but the, the boiled down, like, what do you get after you've scaled out a virtual selling program? What you should be able to measure is once you've established a new virtual selling channel, because that's what this is, right? It's a new way for customers to shop. If customers that shop in this channel, if they convert more, so... If you have a 2% conversion rate and your virtual selling channel converts at 8%, that's good. If they buy more, if their basket size is higher, then you know that you know between a better conversion rate and a better basket size, you have a more efficient channel. It's just a question of now getting more people into it. So at Salesforce, what we see is we see approximately a 9 to 10 times lift in conversion rate comparing to e So if e converts at 2%, we have seen 18, 20% conversion rates in virtual selling interactions. Basket sizes are typically 45 to 55% higher when you've served a customer digitally compared to when you haven't. So if you look at like a home hardware, where maybe your basket size must be probably around 300 bucks online, I would venture to say that in a virtual selling model or in a virtual selling channel, we could bring 300 up to 450. That's the 50% increase. And then we have... You know a bunch of other metrics that we measure from an ROI perspective like you know is your return rate lower in your virtual selling uh, channel right we normally see a 40% lower return rate you know if you spend the time to recommend a product to a customer they should be returning it less often either that or they just feel very guilty about having returned it against you know the great service that you gave them but uh, there are a number of metrics that we measure and we always religiously go back to and see is is our is our program delivering value for each of our programs
1: have you um had the luxury of matching it up to like a net promoter score and seeing if the overall satisfaction of a retailers consumers has improved because of of um the work that's been put in place
2: we've we we don't see a huge deviation on nps um when when you because what's difficult is that when you have a virtual selling a customer that's interacted with virtual selling very hard to just carve them out because they are interacting with other other channels. Um, we do actually measure NPS of all of our associates. We have fifty thousand associates using Salesforce every day, and we we have an NPS of uh, of actually much higher than the average software company, which is you know something that we we kind of pride our support team on. Um, but in terms of how do we measure customer satisfaction, <laughs> there's actually an exercise that we do on a monthly basis. It's a tough job, but somebody actually has to read 100 conversations that happen between our associates and, and, our, and our customers, right? The associates from retailers and the customers they serve And they have to quantify whether it was a good conversation or, or a negative conversation, and they also have to categorize it. So what we're able to do there is we're, we're – and, and AI is going to help us do this much faster in the future, but what we're actually able to do now is start to tell retailers – Here's the kind of conversations that are having that that your associates are having. You know, we know that 84% of conversations are either related to product inventory or attribute. That means that I want to know about a product. I want to know about something about that product. Like does the clasp look like this or does the color look like that or inventory? Do you have this in your store? If I leave my house and come to your store, are you going to have this product? These are all questions that are, very important for a sales associate. Um, So yeah, we do a lot of that measurement in terms of not only the words that are spoken, but also the intent and the, the feelings that customers get after they leave an interaction.
1: That's great. I mean, are you doing any tools that help? Like when I was a sales associate on the floor, I, I got comfortable selling certain things, certain brands because I knew the product knowledge and the hot buttons on those items very well. So if you looked at my profile, versus another sales associate, I sold the hell out of Pioneer car audio decks. But okay. Just because I knew them inside and out and the the Kenwood ones at the time, I really didn't know all the features and benefits of those. So to me, when a customer came in, I sold Pioneer left and right. So are you able to glean um, over time with the associates that are selling, you know, what they're recommend recommending to consumers? And, and maybe that might not be the best recommendation. It's just try to overcome the associate's bias and have them come out of their comfort zone and start learning about other products.
2: Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I've seen is when we actually summarize the products that got recommended to customers through the solution. And then you compare what products were actually purchased and you're able to actually, we've done it through like a heat map. If you can imagine where you could see the most recommended items in certain categories become the most recommended, uh, the most purchased products, where in other categories, you know, if you suggest one thing, they inevitably end up buying another, right? And that could be through, you know, the natural need for comparative shopping. Um, So yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at product specialists, um, we can definitely track what they recommend versus what gets purchased. But another thing that's very interesting about, What we do is we actually we actually there's a configuration in our solution that allows an associate to say, I only want to speak about this kind of product. So if you imagine like a department store is an easy example, right? You've got women's wear, men's wear, handbags and formal wear. Right. Um, If I am the handbag king of New York, I don't (laughs) want to talk to anybody about tuxedos. I don't want to talk to anybody about women's wear. But I want to talk about handbags. I sell five thousand dollar Gucci handbags. That's my game. That's what I do. And so requests that come in through the website they can be routed to me, and customers can also be appropriately routed to me accordingly. So that when they have questions about that particular product category, I'm your guy. You know, kind of like you are the 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 the, the home stereo or, or or car audio guy. And it sounds like, by the way, we have you to blame for all of the. Crazy loud bass cars that drive up and down my street on the weekends, right?
1: Yeah, I did influence that market for a long time. Awesome. I have to say, um, but that that is great. I I think everything you're doing. Hey, I know you have uh, another appointment tonight as well, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But I want to be able to let the audience know from your standpoint. How do they get a hold of you? Who's the appropriate person to have that initial conversation with? Whether it's you or someone else from the team, uh, or just how do they connect with you, like on LinkedIn? Sure.
2: Thank you for the plug. I appreciate it. Um, our website is salesfloor.net. Uh, if you ever want to get in touch with me, I'm happy to give out my email. It's Ben at salesfloor.net, uh, and I'd be happy to connect you with uh, with anyone on our team, whether it be our sales team or our marketing team for uh, for more info. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: You've been listening to Delivering E Commerce. It's our passion to have on leaders and suppliers in e-commerce from around the globe, setting you and your strategy up for the next level. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with Chris on LinkedIn at Chris Parsons. On YouTube at Chris Parsons Delivering E-Commerce and on Twitch at Chris Parsons 1976. Till next time, this is Delivering E-Commerce.